Hello, everybody. Welcome in to a special edition of Courtside Convo a little earlier this week because we are headed back home for Thanksgiving. So we're, we wanted to get you guys uh, some storyline um, update, storyline podcast uh, from our crew here before we head home and watch some NBA and college basketball, enjoy some good food. Um, we got AJ Evans, Jack Morland, and Josh Gubbrod with me today. Um, I'm Liam Jackson. And, yeah, so we're just going to dive right into it. We got a few, what do we got, four or five um, storylines we're just going to riff on, update, um, talk about, maybe debate a little bit. We'll see. Um, first, we're just, uh, we wanted to talk about this. The Pacers and the Kings are two interesting teams, two overachieving teams um, early on in the season. And they're linked um, together um, because their best players were traded for one another um, last year, some, some of their better players. Uh, Devonta Sabonis was traded from the Pacers in February last year, or this year, I guess, last season, um, to the Kings for Tyrese Halliburton and Buddy Heald. And I believe Tristan Thompson was a part of that deal. But the main pieces of those of that deal was Halliburton and Heald to Indiana, Devonta Sabonis to Sacramento. The Kings are kind of an electric factory offensively. They have most points per game in the NBA at 121. Uh, they're nine and six. They're fifth in the West, and they are selling that uh, selling that arena out. Those fans have, are showing up. It's t- been a tough place to play for a lot of teams. Demontis Sabonis is averaging seventeen and a half, ten point nine rebounds and six assists. Um, his three point shooting started slow, but it's it's picked up. And then for the Pacers, they are ten and six, fourth in the Eastern Conference right now. Um, their offense isn't too bad either. They're fifth in scoring in the NBA, one sixteen point eight points a game. And Halliburton is um, a star in the making, really, at, at point guard, averaging 20.4 points, and he's leading the league with 10.7 assists per game. So I get, the question I had for you guys, is this a win-win trade? And are either of these two teams, is their success sustainable? And what do you guys just think about the future of either of these teams? I think... As of right now, I think it's a win-win. I think, you know, Sacramento has been, you know, basketball purgatory for what feels like forever now. So, I mean, making it to the playoffs or the play-in, I think, was their goal coming into this season. When they made this trade, you know, they made it public that they were trying to win now. Um, but I think in the long term that Sacramento is going to end up with the short end of the stick on this deal um, just because I'm really big on Halliburton. And similar to the trade that was made uh, with the L.A. Clippers and the Oklahoma City Thunder when the Clips gave away Shea Gilgis-Alexander. I don't know if you guys remember, but the Clippers knew they were giving away a future all-star point guard. I mean, the Thunder, the, the Clippers, excuse me. Yeah, because they traded away SGA, and they knew they did. Um, yeah, they made the playoffs. That was a scrappy Clippers team that made the playoffs, and I think yeah. they lost to the Warriors, yep. but they were still like Montrezl Harrell, SGA. It was a fun team. Yeah, but, you know, they were obviously trying to accommodate for Kawhi, bring in, you know, a secondary star in Paul George, but I don't I don't think Sacramento has that I don't think DeMontis is that kind of guy for them, you know, and I and they're obviously not gonna be competing for a championship. So I just I didn't understand it then why you would trade away a guy like that. Still kinda don't understand it just because I always think I've said it before, I always think you have to think about the best interest of your team's future, no matter how good the present may look or how well it's going. But as of right now, I think it's a win-win. I think the Kings will likely be competing competing for a playing spot, and the Pacers obviously got franchise point guard out of it. But I think in the long term, Indiana is gonna 
benefit most from this deal. Jack, what do you think? Yeah, I would I would have to agree with that. It just makes too much sense seeing Halliburton's trajectory. I mean, it says on our sheet that, you know, Halliburton's leading the league in assists, and he doesn't have, like, the most talented offense around him to be putting up those numbers. So, I mean, you know, he just looks great. But I'm happy for Sacramento. I love the beam, you know, lighting mm-hmm. up the sky and everything. That's been hilarious on NBA social media and all that. Um, so, you know, I'm happy for him. I, I don't feel great about them sustaining this, like, incredibly high offense. I never get really super high on offenses and things like that. I think defensive schemes are just, you know, more durable or stand the test of time, whatever. But it's great to see them, you know, succeeding. Um, and Indiana, as far as their success, I don't really see them sticking around the top of the Eastern Conference just because they're a young team, and they'll probably be selling at the deadline. Sure, you know, we've we've heard Buddy Heald and Miles Turner trade rumors for – well, it feels like a year now already. So, you know, I don't see them sticking around at the top. But, you know, it'd be cool if they made the play-in, made some noise. I'm sure they'll try to stay towards the bottom for a chance at, you know, Victor Wimanyama. But you never know. They might just have fun winning. <laughs> yeah. Josh, how about you? Yeah, I – for the long term, it's hard to go against Halliburton's potential just because his ceiling is so high, especially how that NBA is currently with, with guards being – primarily, you know, the movers and shakers. Obviously, you have guys like Giannis and Embiid, but a lot of the top-level guys are guards. And I I think that's why the Pacers will ultimately, you know, seem like the team that wins this. But when you look at the Kings, I think the Kings are kind of in a better, not just right now, but over the next maybe year or so, because I think the Kings have already gotten some better young pieces outside of their stars. Like, Halliburton and Fox, pretty comparable at this point, I would say. I mean, Halliburton's been great. Fox is great. I think Halliburton has elevated himself to that type of tier. But Sabonis, then, is the number two, is, I would say, better than anybody. The Pacers currently have. Maybe Matherin changes that, but, you know, that's more of a, you know, we got to see what he's got. He's been very good so far, but we don't know. But then on the Kings side, you know, you have Keegan Murray, who's been playing very well, that, you know, we got to see what's going on there. You know, he could really turn into something special. Harrison Barnes is still there. Harrison Barnes is only 30. Like, we act, people act like, not, you know, on the spot, but, like, nationally, I mean, like, people act like Harrison Barnes is kind of like this journeyman dinner. guy's 30 years old. Like, he has plenty of good basketball left. I, I think that's kind of underrated. And the thing with both of these teams that I think goes really under or unnoticed is these are two NBA Finals-winning coaches. Now, Mike Brown won his as an assistant, but – these are this with Carlisle and uh, Mike Brown. These are two coaches that have you know taken veteran teams to to the NBA Finals and won, and that's to me a big part of why you see these teams having such early success because they have better coaches than some of these other teams. They have better coaching staffs than some of these other teams, and you know Mike Brown is a very good coach. He's a really good coach, and so is Carlisle. Like both of these guys are probably two of the top eight to ten coaches in the league and you know they've got these younger teams with talent that you know now we're really starting to see some of these players get unlocked so yeah I I I agree with what you guys are saying I think in terms of sustaining um, what they've got going I think I trust the Kings more this year um, just because you said the veteran talent but also because it's crazy to say this but I think that the Western Conference might be a little more up in the air than the East at this point, at least the top half of it, um, just because there are a lot of teams in flux at the bottom of the Western, at the Western Conference, um, a lot of drama going on with a lot of teams in the Western Conference. And I was going to touch on Mike Brown if you didn't. I think that that's a big, a big deal. Um, a big, that was a good hire in my opinion. 
um, coming from um, he's been around winning teams, like you said. And while DeMontis Sabonis hasn't been shooting the best, De'Aaron Fox um, has been has stepped up in terms of his shooting. And if if he's shooting, if he sustains his shooting, I don't know really how you stop him. One of the fastest players in the league, um, great in transition, great playmaker. And one thing that had, had held him back, other than maybe his uh, his defense at times, was that shot. Um, and this is a Kings team that I think they're just totally buying into their identity as an offensive powerhouse. I don't think that they – I think they know that they're not um, they're not going to be a great defensive team, so they have to be one of the best offensive teams to kind of make up for that, and they have been so far. And um, I know a lot of people say Sabonis might be like one of the weaker all-stars or weaker multiple-time all-stars the last few years, but um, he still is a low all, lower-end all-star just – on the fringe of being an all-star talent, and he's um, one of the better playmaking centers in the league. And then you you mentioned Harrison Barnes, Keegan Murray, um, De'Aaron Fox around him. Um, so I think the Kings are in a pretty good spot to make the playoffs, which is what they wanted. Um, but in terms of the future, I think that the best player in the deal is Tyree Talburton. Um, just I think that his potential could be one of the better offensive engines in the league. And his ability to to read defenses is unlike I'd say almost any other player in the league. He's one of the smartest players in in the NBA and um, um like he's exactly what you want as an NBA uh, as an NBA offense right now. A bigger guard can run the pick and roll over and over and over and over and over again and he can just pick you apart um pick defenses apart in that pick and roll and I love I kind of love how ugly his shot is because it 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 just doesn't look – it's like something I've never seen um, in terms of his shooting form, and it goes in all, very often. And Buddy Heald, I think, is either – I think he's a very underrated piece or player in the NBA. His shooting has not slowed down, and if the Pacers want to s- stick around in the playoff hunt this year, he will help them throughout the, throughout the year. And if they don't, he could garner a lot of um, a lot of trade attention because of his, his skill is – um, just about as important as and like shooting is one of the most important if not the most important skills in the NBA right now and he's one of the better shooters in the NBA so they have a lot of options and like you said Jack if they choose um, to 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 blow it up if they have a, a couple bad weeks they already have two um, great guards two young great guards in Matherin and Halberton and then like we were talking about before the pod this this draft class um, this draft class is could be generational so and I think in the future I would take the Pacers, but this season I would take the Kings. Um, anybody else? Anything else? I, I just think an interesting thing, too, with how you were mentioning Heald, I think the shooting guard situations between these two teams are incredibly interesting because Herter's playing very well, too. Yeah, we didn't even mention Herter. And, and Heald and Herter, that was kind of a big debate because that was kind of the replacement for Heald, and that's you know the setup out there. But it seems to be more of just one of those examples of how important fit and chemistry are because – Herter was definitely not playing this well in Atlanta, and Heald was definitely not playing this well in Sacramento. They both get new spots. They're both playing incredibly well and averaging career highs in points or near career highs in points and both shooting very well. So I just found that interesting because Herter and Heald both got new changes of scenery. There was a big debate about the talent there, but they, they both seem very good. Yeah, we I, I didn't see the quote in its entirety, but I saw that KD mentioned that Herder reminded him of Clay Thompson or something. Clay Thompson and another shooter he compared him to, and that is pretty high praise. But he's playing like 
Uh, they played the Pistons the other night, and I was watching. I watched most of that game, and it just seemed like every time Kevin Herter was open, as a Pistons fan, you just kind of groan a little bit because you know it's going in. And uh, yeah, that's that's someone that is really thriving playing around a center. He was playing with Trey Young, but it seems like he's playing. He's found more of, like you said, he seems more comfortable uh, when Sabonis is kind of controlling the offense at the free throw line, opposed to as opposed to Trey Young running pick and rolls near half court and I, there could be a reason for that I don't know but he just seems he's been deadly like you have to you have to um, stay with Kevin Herter which is um, it's really opened things up for Sabonis and Fox um, back we'll go to the Eastern Conference now two teams that we haven't talked about too much on the pod but deserve um, deserve to be mentioned for sure the Bucks and Celtics um, are 13 and 4 Boston's 13 and 4 the Bucks are 12 and 4 they are the Two top teams in the East and the NBA as a whole um, right now. Boston, of course, um, the Eastern Conference winners last year, and the Bucks, the champions from two years ago. Um, Brown and Tatum are Brown's averaging twenty five, Tatum's averaging thirty, and Tatum has been at or near the top of MVP lists for the majority of the season so far. So he's um, just keeps getting better every single year. And for the Bucks, it's kind of just been the status quo for them, and they haven't even had Middleton um, this year. And they traded for Ingles in the offseason or signed him. I don't remember. But um, they acquired Ingles in the offseason, Joe Ingles, and he has not made his debut. I don't think he's going to make his debut until later on in the season. I believe he tore his ACL or he had some knee surgery, so he won't be back until near the playoffs. Um, the A big game last night for for. The Celtics, they played the Bulls, but they lost 121 to 107. Celtics were on a nine game winning streak, and the Bulls were on a four game losing streak. So, big game for both teams there. And the Celtics' loss um, brings the Bucks back within half a game of them. So, um, a very tight race at the top of the East. Two teams that could, I could, I could easily see making and even winning the finals this year. So, um, Josh, what do you think about um, this, the Boston, Boston and Milwaukee? I think. I think the interesting thing with Boston has been that they've been doing it a little bit more with offense than they we might have expected them to, just with the coaching change and all that. Their defense has actually slipped a little bit. It's not like they're playing bad defensively. Their defense has still been very good. But it, 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 wasn't, it hasn't been the uber-elite defense that we saw from them last year. Part of them is the injuries that they've had, too. But with Milwaukee, I, I can't get over how well Brooke Lopez is playing. I mean that's that's got to be mentioned just because he he's playing out of his mind for the age he's at you know 16 and 6 but with very good shooting percentages you know hyper elite interior defense and he fits so well next to Giannis and what they're doing and as much as Robert Williams who you know this who's the Celtics are missing is a very good player I don't think he is the type of player Middleton is where Middleton is like an all-star that can at his very best impact two ways, you know, on the court as an all-star level guy. The Bucks are basically missing their second best player in Middleton who is, you know, a multi-time all-star, you know, looking to be a multi-time all-star and you know, they're still humming along like nothing's going on there. And I I think that's just been really impressive because there was I thought the Bucks might struggle a little bit without Middleton because some of their guys are getting older. Drew Holiday's been playing great. You know, I know there was some question, you know, if Drew Holiday was going to take a little bit of a step back, but Lopez and Holiday are, pl- are playing better than they played at, to this point last year. Yeah. AJ, what do you think? 
Yeah, I mean, I agree with everything you said. I also think Bobby Portis has been terrific yeah. so far. Yeah, 13.6 points and 10.6 rebounds per game. I mean, that's big time. He certainly stepped up. And, you know, Milwaukee is just – I feel like they're, all of their success over the last few years has just made them a well-oiled machine. Like, they've gotten accustomed to just finding ways to win, regardless of who's in, who's out. Um and I expect them to make a, a really deep run uh, this spring. I really do. I I just think this will be another year where they'll make some serious noise. Uh, for Boston, I touched on it a little bit earlier on this year, but, you know, Marcus Smart has really stood out to me. He's averaging seven over seven assists per game and less than two turnovers. Um, I just feel like he's taking another leap as a floor general. And I said it before, but I really think he's – becoming one of the most well-rounded guards in the league you know guys have guys and scouts have continued to just you know call him a defensive guy and that's great but I mean he does a lot for them on offense and if you watch their games I mean he he's a big part of everything that they do and it takes a really great floor general to keep two wings happy especially two wings this talented and Brown is averaging 25 Tatum is averaging 30 like I think we have to give a lot of that credit, not all of it, but a lot of it to Marcus Smart because there aren't too many point guards who'd be able to balance the floor the way he's been able to for the Celtics this season. Jack, how about you? Yeah, I mean, that's a great point. Like, that's kind of always been my one kind of concern with the Celtics. I mean, obviously they made the finals last year and they were fine, but they didn't have, like, that true – he didn't feel like a true point guard necessarily – um, and, yeah, I just don't watch enough Marcus Smart to, like, realize his impact. But, yeah, I mean, that's a really great point. He's been doing a great job just keeping that offense together and that team together, as you know, as a whole. Um, but, yeah, no, it's great to see the Celtics succeed, you know, you, despite the early season drama, coaching change, uh, the last minute. You know, it's it was a crazy situation. So it's good to see them, you know, continue their success from last year. Um, and as far as Milwaukee, I mean, it's just – it's so impressive. I mean – I think Giannis has already kind of hit that point where people just kind of take for granted how good he is. Like, he's just so fun to watch. I mean, I don't know. He's just that guy, you know. But, um, yeah, no, I mean, they're just great, too. They, their role players just continue to get better and just fill their role. Um, and, yeah, I mean, they're just fun teams to watch. It's great. Yeah, I I, I would love another, um, another Boston-Milwaukee playoff series. Mm-hmm. Hopefully Middleton would be healthy for that one because he, uh, he had unfortunately missed. He missed the whole. I think he missed the whole series, or he missed. For he might have played one lot, game yeah, yeah. against Boston last year. Um, but yeah, I, I agree that Giannis is just kind of unstoppable. Um, he reminds me not the way exact way that he plays, but the the way he dominates with his physic physicality, like a Shaq kind of, um, just somebody you really can't stop. Um, and the fact that every year he seems to be more and more confident at the free throw line. You can't just send him there all the time now. Um, but on Chicago, who beat um, who beat Boston last night, um, our Bulls fans are not um, here today uh, with Josh uh, Ryupan and, and Carter Fry. Um, Josh Ryupan texted in the group message that, and I don't know if this was a sarcastic text or not, but he was obviously upset that he's ready to trade DeMar and Levine and, and blow this thing up. Um and to be honest, I don't, I don't, I don't hate, I don't, it's not going to happen, but I just don't see this core with Vucevic, DeRozan, and Levine being a force in the Eastern Conference when you have teams like Boston and you have teams like Philadelphia and Milwaukee 
and up-and-coming teams like Cleveland and Atlanta's playing well again. And I just think think all of those teams that I just listed have better star players and better futures than Chicago and also more flexibility in, in first, um, for some of those teams that I mentioned. But I just don't love – I think that this is a Chicago team I, like day in, day out I wouldn't – love to play because they're good enough to beat anybody but I don't think they're they're good enough to beat anybody in a regular season game I don't know if they're good enough to beat many teams in a seven game series in the playoffs um it's they and they even if they are they would have to be completely healthy and Levine hasn't been Vucevic hasn't been um DeRozan has stayed relatively healthy since he's been in Chicago but um still missing Lonzo yeah Lonzo Caruso's been out for times Patrick Williams (laughs) is just coming back so this is a team that would have to be um, pretty much at full strength, I think, to compete even with a team. I don't think they're competing with a Milwaukee or Boston no matter what, but to compete with maybe maybe a Philly, even then, I don't know, maybe Miami, maybe Cleveland. So I think they'd be in that mix, and they would have to be completely healthy to beat them. So I just I I don't see where this goes for them because they're going to be drafting mid-lottery if they're not making the playoffs or if they do slip in the playoffs – they're going to be drafting just outside of the lottery the next few years and not have that much money because they're paying Levine, they're paying DeRozan, they're paying Vucevic. So um, I'm just I I'm not thrilled. I'm not too excited for the Bulls' future. Um, basically, is what I'm saying. Yeah, I mean, similar to what I was just saying about Boston. I think this offense, the way it's the way it was constructed, the way they visualized it unfolding, Lonzo Ball was supposed to be at the centerpiece of it. He was supposed to be their floor general. He was supposed to be their guy. And I've said it before, he obviously doesn't do a million things that pop up on the box score, but I think he's a guy that holds teams together. You know, there are floor generals who have done that, and I think he's one of those guys. And he's he's just such a big-time playmaker that it's really hard to – make up for what he does on both ends of the floor. He's also great defensively. I mean, and he was the guy that, you know, ignited this offense. Um, when he was healthy, they were near the top of the East last season. I don't know if you guys remember, but they were mm-hmm. a big-time team. I think um, if they also break, they might have been the they might have had the one seed. Yep, and then he got hurt right yep. around that point and was and was out. So, yeah, I mean, with without him – Everything looks pretty shaky, and like you said, you know things don't look too bright, and they're sort of caught between competing and, like you said, being a mid lottery team. So, you know, and it's also tough too because I think Io Desumu is incredibly talented, and I think he has a really bright future. But I don't think he's ready now to command the starting point guard role. Um, and I think Billy Donovan has a lot of faith and belief in his future, and I think the Bulls organization does. But it's hard to ask a young guy to do that much right now. Um, and we see spurts of it sometimes, you know, there are some nights where, I mean, he really has like shows some flashes, but you know, as of right now, it's, it's, it's a tough time to be a Bulls fan for sure, because this roster is just not at full strength. And, you know, it, that's always incredibly frustrating. I think that's most frustrating when you have guys, but they're, and it's not even like they're not playing well, they're just hurt. And that's the case for Lonzo. Yeah. I should have mentioned they are seven and 10, um, currently the 11th seed in the East, um, one game behind Brooklyn, who is eight and nine, so they're in the outs- the outside looking in right now with the playing picture, um, with uh, Miami right behind them. So um, Miami still has to get going. So Chicago, that's it's not a guarantee that um, this is a Chicago team that's even in the play-in. I believe that they will be at least in the play-in, and pr- I think they could even make the playoffs. So it wouldn't surprise me. But 
um, there's some work to do there for Chicago for sure. Yeah. I'm glad you brought up Io, AJ, because that's who I was going to mention. It's just kind of like, you know, he looked really great last year coming off the bench and just kind of being a spark plug guy. And I, if I'm remembering correctly, he did start for a little while once Lonzo went down, and he played pretty well. But, I mean, it's just more pressure to try to do that over a whole season and things like that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's just tough. I feel like their window is definitely closing. I mean, like, I love DeMar, but he's not getting any younger. Same with Vucevic. Like, you know, it, it might be a good time to just get some value out of these guys and just kind of, you know, start, start, um, I guess, you know, rebuild a little bit. Um, cause I mean, Patrick Williams, he's still a huge question mark. He just kind of came, just came back. This is the first time he's played this season. Uh, the last, he's played for a little over a week now, I think, or two weeks. Maybe. Okay. He's yeah. Been, he's been back for a little bit. So he's bit. been yeah, looking, he's played 17 he games. Game. Yeah. Oh, he's been back all year. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, my okay. bad. Well, I just completely missed that. That's my bad. But yeah, I'm a huge, uh, king of the fourth quarter, Kenny Beecham fan. He's been you know, I follow all his tweets following, um, you know, Patrick Williams' return and kind of his up-and-down season. So, I mean, you know, you got some decent young talent there with the paw and I.O. So, I mean, you don't, you're not going to start from scratch entirely, but like we said, this is a good class to maybe try to, you know, just move on from your older stars and start over again. Yeah, I – this team – when you look at it, it seems like the te- one of those teams that like sounds like a really good idea in 2K. Mm-hmm. Where you're just like, I'm just going to grab the best possible guy that like any position I can get. But like then you look at it in reality, it's like these guys don't fit. There's no fit here. Like, like Vucevic is almost totally useless to these guys without Lonzo because Damar and Levine are not the type of guys that are going to you know sit and slow work, a pick and pop, and pick and roll all night. Like Damar wants to get to his spots. Levine just wants to score. I'm not saying DeMar can't pass. Like, DeMar can run a pick and roll, but, like, not at the level Lonzo can and not to the consistency Lonzo can. And you see that now where Vucevic is averaging, you know, 15 a game. But the other thing is the Orlando Magic have seven players averaging at least 12 points a game. Chicago Bulls have three. That's that's not where you want to be. And that's – I think these guys are well coached, and I think you look at their their depth. They have a lot of defensive specialists from what it looks like. Derek Jones Jr., is only a defensive player. Alex Caruso is very quickly becoming only a defensive player. You need guys on that type of bench, you know, where, like, this is a team that would really benefit from, like, trying to get Colin Sexton away from Utah or something like that. You know, where they just... Clarkson. Yeah, exactly. Like, they just need a guy who can come off the bench and just fill it up for them because they're they're not getting anything. I mean, Vucevic is their third-leading scorer. He's at 15-and-a-half. And other than that, it's Dasunmu at, at 11.2, and nobody else is over 10. That That's not very good. And I don't think Lonzo coming back fixes that for them because Lonzo coming back takes away from Dasunmu's minutes, so his scoring would go down. Dragic is their, one of their next leading scorers. His touches would go down. So the guys that would benefit from Lonzo coming back you know, are the guys that are already playing well or or maybe not well, like Vucevic isn't playing super well, but like he's still one of the better players on this team. I, I might – I might move DeRozan and Vooch. I might just do it because because I look at it and those are the two that don't make any sense because they're DeRozan's thirty three and Vooch is thirty two. I think Levine at twenty seven you can retool with Lonzo and Levine and Dasunmu and Williams and get whatever guys you can get for DeRozan and Vooch and you're still good like you're still there. And I don't think that I think that makes you bad enough this year to where you can try to get a good pick, but then like you still have a young core of twenty eight to twenty you know seven year old talent and I wouldn't want to move Levine just because of that age but he also kind of seems like he's getting pretty frustrated like he seems like one of the guys 
out of this group that is the most frustrated with how things have gone. And I that show the other night when he got benched and he had some things to say about being benched. But I I would probably move DeRozan and Vucevic just because I don't I don't know like what what are you getting out of it? Like you're gonna make the play in and you're gonna kill your draft position even more and then you're gonna get knocked out of the play in and you're gonna be, you know, basically what the Kings have been for the last decade. Where you're just good enough to always be picking like eighth to twelfth instead of, you know, one to six. And I, yeah, I would probably do it. But other than that, I, I like, I like their young guys. I do the Sunmu and Williams. And, and that's why I wouldn't, I wouldn't blow it up. Like I would keep Lonzo, I'd keep Levine. I'd keep Drummond as a backup, but like, I like Dragic. I'd see if anybody like a team, like the Suns or somebody like in a playoff on, like, do you want an extra veteran guard? Like second round pick, whatever, because somebody will take Dragic. Somebody will take DeRozan. Somebody will take Vucevic. And I, I think the re, the assets you can get for those guys are going to benefit Chicago more than those guys at this point, given the hole that they're already in. Yeah, I I agree. I was just going to say, well, I think they went out and got Dragic because Ball was out. Yeah, but I don't. Which was a good idea. It was a good yeah. move. Yeah, and yeah. That's, that's what I mean. Like I don't. I don't, I'm not saying get rid of Dragic because he's not playing well. I think it was very smart to go get Dragic. But I now think that you can flip Dragic. Kind of like how we've said sometimes that maybe the Pistons would want to do with Bogdanovich. I know they resigned him, so that that's looking less likely. Right. But like, yeah. I think if if they're going to punt on this season, you don't need Dragic to fill that gap for Lonzo because you just want to you just want to lose at that point. For sure. I'm, but that's the thing, though. I mean, things have just sort of gone awry. I don't know if they'd be fully ready or committed to jump and ship just yet. You know, I think they'd at least like to see Lonzo come back and get another hand in this offense. And I also don't think I don't think Lonzo takes away from anything, which I think is what makes him so great. I think he's going to give more. Honestly, I mean, Iodosumu's averaging 11 points right now. Yeah. I could see him averaging that off the bench when Lonzo comes back. Lonzo's not going to take away from that, I don't think. And similar to Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum in Boston, DeRozan and Levine are going to get theirs, regardless of who's winning, who's losing. But Lonzo contributes to winning basketball. So... I could see these guys putting up the same numbers and their record being completely different with yeah. Lonzo still being in the offense because he doesn't take away from anything. He just makes everybody better while playing great, great defense on a nightly basis. So that's why I felt like he was sort of the difference maker on this roster. But and I, I, I think he can still can be a difference maker for these guys too. I, that's why I would keep him. I, I look at this almost like how Portland was last year. Where, like, at the beginning of the year, you had McCollum and Nurkic and Lillard, and they were really excited. And they, but then, like, McCollum got hurt for a little bit. Then Lillard got hurt for a long time. And they were just like, we're just going to, we're just going to punt. We're, we're not going to tank. We're not going to get rid of everybody. Like, they kept Lillard. They kept Nurkic. I think that's a good comparison. But they're yeah. like, but they're like, McCollum, you know, it's not working out. And then they went and got Hart and guys like that. They went and got, you know, they got Shaden Sharp in the draft because they, you know, they tanked, quote, quote, a little bit. And that, that's where I look at the Bulls because it's just like I don't think they need to blow it up. But I think taking that Portland model and just being like, we're already having really bad luck this year. Why don't we just suck for a year because next year we can be that much better because we're still going to have Lonzo. The different, the different, And I think Lonzo and Levine is a very – that's a very underrated backcourt. Oh, yeah. For sure. And that size will cause some problems. Like I think that's a tougher matchup than people realize for like the Cavs backcourt because what do you – I mean, Mitchell and Garland are very small. I mean, yep. you know, Lonzo and Levine can give those guys problems, but but I just look at it like that. Where it, I I hate to call it tanking because I don't I don't see it as tanking, but it's just like it's 
it's clearly not going to be their year. So put yourself in a better position for next year with the guys that you know are going to be there. Yeah. And we will have Carter and Josh on more episodes as the year goes on. So they will we'll be able to get an inside look from um, a Bulls fan perspective, people who have grown up watching that team. So um, that'll be interesting to hear from them. So from Chicago to Detroit, we have some news um, from the Pistons. Franchise player Cade Cunningham has missed um, the last few games with shin injury. At first it was kind of just um, he was going to miss four games and um, rest a little bit, but now reports have come out that surgery may be in the cards for Cade, um, and that surgery would likely be season-ending for for number two. Um they also haven't ruled out to him just resting, which also um, I don't think that's been announced how long that would be, but I think it would be a, ch- a chunk of time. So either way, he's probably missing um, months of basketball, which is not ideal for Detroit, who has had um, kind of kind of come way back to earth these last couple of weeks. They only have three wins on the year, 3-14, um, and 14, tied for the worst record with Houston. Uh, Cade was averaging 26 and six um, before he got hurt. He had a stretch of a week and a half where it looked like he was going to be an All Star, um, and then that was sandwiched in between a slower start. And then after, then after that hot stretch, he had a couple games where his efficiency dipped um, again. But overall, um, he was having a pretty good season for uh, a second year player, 21 year old. And now the Pistons are staring at what is likely going to be top lottery odds. Um, this year, and barring any turnaround, there doesn't seem like it. They are their defense is horrible. Their offense isn't great. Um, there's injuries. To, Sadiq Bay misses first game in almost 160 games. Um, Isaiah Stewart um, hurt his toe. He's out for another week or so at least. Uh, Marvin Bagley did come back. He's been starting the five, um, and that hasn't helped the defense very much. Um, the rookies have been bright spots. Ivy and Duran, they've continued to be um, to get better and better. But first, let's talk about Cade really quick. Um, what do you think the Pistons should do with Cade? Do you think that they should try to get him back this year? Do you think they should be as cautious as possible? And if he is going to be out, um, where do you think? How many wins do you think this team? If Cade doesn't play another game this year, how many wins does this team get? Personally, I think. You might he might as well go and have surgery. I don't I can't recall and maybe you guys can't. I can't recall a situation where rest ended up being the cure to whatever it was that was going on. Like I've never seen a situation where a team has said, Yeah, we're gonna rest them and then the guy comes back, he's completely fine, and we never hear about the injury again. I feel like rest is always there's always a recurring issue after that. Well, yeah, he was out three months because of rest and now he has to have the surgery that we were debating on him having beforehand so if the surgery can fully address the issue you might as well have it but if he's out I know there's more we're going to get into but if he's out for the rest of the season I see this team I don't see this team winning more than 27 games I think that's high no I said I don't see us winning more than 27 I know I'd, I'd say I'd say okay I'd say actually say 25 I don't see us winning more than 25 it's 82 game season we're three and 15 now um, I don't see it happening. We've got a, you know, we've got a lot of talent. I think there will be some nights where teams will look at Detroit as a night off, especially if Cade is out. We might be able to surprise some people, but yeah, I don't, I don't see us winning any more than that. Yeah, that twenty-five would 
honestly be pretty surprising yeah. in my opinion. Like I, yeah. I could definitely see him hitting like 18 mark. Like you know, it wouldn't shock me. I don't know, just winless on the road to. I mean, granted, out of three wins, you know, it's more sense that they came at home, but that's just rough. I don't know. Um, I don't have a problem with Cade, you know, getting a surgery and just taking care of his issue, and you know, just feeling better and then working back to be in better shape. Um, you know, if if he's able to come back maybe for a few games at the end of the season, just try to get in a little bit of rhythm, that's fine. But don't rush him back. Like there's there's absolutely nothing to play for. Um, at that point, like you might as well just tank for Victor. Um, so yeah, I mean, I yeah, I like that. You know, get Ivy more experience, see what Sadiq can do. You know, having the ball in his hands more again. But yeah, just you know, just take care of Cade. Just let that solve itself. Yeah, I think I'm not. What I'm about to say, I'm not mad at Dwayne Casey, Troy Weaver, or the players on this team. I'm mad at just the situation because it just mm-hmm. feels like. <laughs> they made the playoffs a couple years ago with Blake and Drummond, but it just I'm it's so hard to watch bad basketball every single year, mm-hmm. every single night. And I just I I didn't think that this was a play playoff team, but I thought that this would be a year that they could catch some breaks and compete mm-hmm. in a little bit and have some exciting games, but I mean it's just been brutal. I Marcus or Marcus, Marvin Bagley. Um, I, I didn't like the contract when they signed him. That's the that's probably the biggest Troy knock I have on Troy Weaver. And I could be proved wrong. I know a lot of people like Marvin Bagley, but I just don't see where he fits on this team. I know they need bigs, but that's not the kind of big they need. He's kind of, he just he can catch lobs, sure, and he can score in, in the post sometimes, but he can't shoot. One of the worst uh, defenders at the five position I've seen in the NBA recently. I mean, he just his feet are so slow. Um, he fouls, and they're starting him over Dern, which is fine because Dern is only 19 years old. But the promise that Dern has shown, I I kind of want to see if he can handle his starting starting role right now, because why not? Who cares? Like I don't. I agree with you, Jack. I don't know. They might not get to 20 wins. This team is really really bad, and if they're gonna have these injuries, their bench is horrible. So um, they're gonna lose these games anyway, and. I agree. I think Cade, just be super cautious with him. I mean, there's no point in bringing him back. Obviously, it'd be great to have him playing um, and getting better because all the reps. He's 21 years old. He still needs a bunch of reps. Um, but he's also he's 21 years old, and he's also proven to be the leader and the best player on this team. So, just I guess we were talking about punting, which for Chicago, I mean, <laughs> this seems like just like another year. Detroit, I'm gonna be sweating out the lottery again. I'm just praying for the lottery not to be the most important time of the year for Pistons fans anymore. I mean, I just want to actually care about playoff games or games late in the season and not ping pong balls. So <laughs> that's where I'm at. That's my little rant about about this. But I just hope Cade gets well. Dwayne Casey's fine. Troy Weaver's fine. I have no. I'm not calling for anybody's job. I just I'm 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 very beat up. I'm down in the dirt right now as a Pistons fan. Yeah, I think I think this is just a harsh reminder to Pistons fans that things things don't always come together as quickly as we expect them to. And I feel like a lot of fan bases with young like young cores have sort of I don't want to say been spoiled, but we've almost gotten a false perception of 
how quickly things are supposed to come together because of Memphis. Because I feel like things came together like that in Memphis. They came together pretty fast. Like, it, they were building pretty steadily, and then all of a sudden they were Western Conference contenders. Um, but that's a rarity. That doesn't always that doesn't happen. Things don't happen that fast with teams. It takes a long time or a significant amount of time to build up a young core. And me and Jack talked about this earlier this year, but it takes a long time, I think, for a young core to just simply learn how to win. I think it takes a few years. It's really hard to put together a good four quarters for 82 games on a mm-hmm. nightly basis. It's just it's really hard. And so this obviously sets them back because Kate is going to be out. But looking on the bright side of things, I know I was the one who said, you know, you don't start Duran. You might as well go and start him now because he's been so good. Yeah, he's he's been super good. I mean, and he's been really good in a limited role, but you might as well give him a glimpse of what he's going to be dealing with for the rest of his career because you're obviously not going to keep him in this limited role. Like, I think we view him as a, a franchise type of center. Um, 100%. So you might as well give him a glimpse and an understanding of what he's going to be dealing with on a nightly basis, you know? Like, we just had a Western Conference road trip, playing against Sabonis. Still going against, tonight to right. Denver. Yeah, we still, we're still we still on it. But, like, starting against, you know, if we were to have another one or if a bunch of West Coast teams were to come, you know, you get to face off against Anthony Davis one night, Sabonis another night. Like, Jokic. I think that'll be good. Yeah, Jokic. That'll be great for him. Um, and also, too, we haven't talked about him, but arguably the most polarizing player on this roster, Killian Hayes. This is a year where you really get to see what he's made of. Um, he's played pretty well. Uh, he's been on a stretch where he's been noticeably like more aggressive. I think this is the most aggressive he's been on offense for his entire career. He's getting close to this being the best stretch of his career. It might already be. Yeah. But mm-hmm. he's his he's shooting the last like six games. He's shooting like thirty six or thirty seven percent from three, and he's taken three a game. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I that's mean, what he needed to do. Yeah, and he he reworked his shooting form. Like it looks completely different. Um. Not completely, but you can tell that he altered his mechanics over the summer, but it's paid off. Um, but, yeah, I think those are the positives. And, you know, unfortunately we'll be playing for another lottery spot, but I would like to remind fans listening that it's better to be this bad than to be mediocre and end up picking at, like, eighth or something. Because I don't know if you guys remember, but there were a few years where we were picking seventh every year. So yes, it and it was, it was awful. Like, that is the worst thing. Like, mm-hmm. I, I don't – I don't want that to sound bad, but those spots are horrible spots to be picking and when you're a young team that's as bad as we've been. So picking near the top of the lottery, especially in this draft, is a major plus. Yeah, if they have the worst pick, they're guaranteed a, uh, a, 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 like someone, one of Vic, Scoot, or Amen Thompson yep. will be on the board. Maybe someone else will t- jump in that top three. But if they have the worst record, they're guaranteed at least uh, an opportunity to draft one of those three guys. So. I'd rather them lose every single game the rest of the year than get hot at the end of the year randomly and get the seventh, eighth pick again. So <laughs> exactly, I agree. You got anything, Josh, or no? I just I think that's a really good point about the timeline of all this stuff. And when I think about the Pistons, I think a team to look at that should make the Pistons cautiously optimistic about their future is the Kings, who we just talked about, because the Kings kind of were that same team. Where like you had De'Aaron Fox, who I feel like to some extent, I'm not comparing them as players, but, like, Cade's kind of in that situation where, like, we knew well before the Kings started seeing the dividends as a team that Fox was, like, a franchise-type guy. And I feel like that's true with Cade. Like, we we know now, well before the Pistons are seeing that return on value as a team, that Cade is a franchise guy. I don't think there's any question. I mean, I, I don't think you guys have any questions. I, I've watched less than you do, and I don't think I have any questions. 
But the Kings now, like, it's taken them this long to get to where they're like the middle of the playoff picture in the West and nine and six. And like, we feel good about them on like a nightly basis and they're not going to like shoot themselves in the foot or like we're taking them seriously and like they're probably going to make the playoffs, even if it's just the play. And like, that's not something that's been said about the Kings for a very long time. It took them a very long time to get to that point where they were even just like good. Like, not even, like, elite or not even, like, a contender. Just, like, acceptably good. And the Pistons, I think, have a little bit of an advantage, too, because I think, like, trading Halliburton would be like the Pistons trading Ivy. You know? Like, that's that's not something the Pistons even have to consider yet. Like, the Pistons have, you know, more talent with Duran and Ivy and Cunningham. City Bay, you already have, like, a solid vet in Bogdanovich. Like... The, the pieces are already there. There's just not enough of those pieces yet. Like, like the pieces that they're going to need to really start pushing for Eastern Conference Finals, NBA Finals, a lot of, I, I think, not a lot, but, like, at least two or three of those pieces are already there. Maybe at head coach, you know, definitely with Cade and almost positively with Ivy and Duran. Like, I can't be as sure about Ivy and Duran as I am with Cade, but I think the pieces are there, and I think – I think the biggest risk would be doing exactly what the Kings did and trading like an Ivy type guy for like a Sabonis type. You know, that's that's the pitfall. I think that's that's where the Pistons screw this up because or not that they will, but potentially screw this up. Because when you start making like Blake Griffin type moves to to become that eight seed and, you know, like the Pistons have done before, like that's where you get trapped. So just be bad, keep your young guys, because I think that, like, that's, you know, what the Kings did for the most part, and then they took the swing last year, but that's paying off for them. I I would rather just sit tight because I'd shut Cade down. I don't want to fire. I wouldn't fire anybody. Like, I just just let it ride. And because the guys that you need to replace are all, are all bench guys. And if, if, you, if the Pistons get Vic, those bench guys will come on vet minimums because they're going to want to play for a team – that's going to make the playoffs because any team that – if you put Vic with Cade, Ivy, Bogdanovich, and Duran, that's a playoff team. might be a low playoff team, but that's a playoff team. And you're going to get guys like Dragic or Drummond that will sign with – not Drummond specifically because that's a whole different story with the Pistons. <laughs> but, like, you'll get those types of vets, which fixes the bench problem. I wouldn't panic. It sucks. I get it sucks. But I think, I think it's worth it because – you're not the thing with the Pistons too is you're not hoping you get that franchise guy. Like you're not banking on the lottery because you need like that Giannis level player. You already have a franchise guy. You're hoping to get a second one that might be better than the first one. That's that's a different type of approach to a tank. I think that's worth it. I love Cade, but Vic will be better. Yeah. Well, yeah, and that's what I mean. Like, yeah. you, like yeah. you already yeah. have a Cade though. Like, yeah. that's the Vic thing. is a Vic is like a generational guy though. But Cade still might be too. Y- I, I agree. I don't think I it's the yeah. same level of sureness. Like, right. I'm more sure that Vic is a generational guy. But yeah. wouldn't it be nice to just have both of them? Like, you already have one of them. That's my point. Like, you <laughs> already have one. You're not in the Trust position. Trust me, I've been, like... I've been imagining what number he's wearing already. <laughs> so. But, like, some teams are in that spot where they're just like, 
like like the Magic solved that problem this year when they got Ben Carroll. Like how many draft picks have the Magic had where like they're decent players or they're good players and they go somewhere else and they're fine, but they never got that franchise yeah. guy. They've had too many picks like that. They mm-hmm. finally got that franchise guy and like they still are really bad, but like we feel better about them because they they got that one puzzle piece. Yeah. The Pistons already have that piece. They're hoping to get a second one, which really like if you get a second one, then you're looking at like the ceiling is like multiple finals. Like if you have two generational guys like that, your ceiling is like multiple finals. That's, and I know it's a gamble with the tank and all that, but like, I I think if you have the chance to put yourself in a position where you have two generational talents, one in the front court and one in the back court, you just 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 kick this kick the can down the road for a year, just be bad. Oh, they are. They're really bad. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's it's less It'll of a choice. <laughs> it's less of a choice for the Pistons than the Bulls. Yeah, but all right, we're gonna wrap up today. We got about ten more minutes. Um, we're going to talk about the MVP. Jeez, oh my goodness. The NBA updated their MVP ladder, which they do weekly. Um, I believe they did this on Friday, Friday or Saturday. But um, they give a top five, and then they give a next five. Um, right now, the top five um, that the NBA released, number one, Luka, averaging 34, 9, and 8. Ridiculous. Uh, Jason Tatum, 31, 7.4, and 4. Giannis, 29, 9. 29.9, 11.8, 5.5 assists. Um, Jokic, number four, 20.8, 9.5, 8.9. John Morant rounding out the top five, um, averaging just under 30 points, six rebounds, and seven assists. And then the next five is Joel Embiid, Shea Gilders Alexander, Devin Booker, Donovan Mitchell, and rounded out by Steph Curry. So I don't have any specific questions. I'll just we'll just go around um have you guys each give your thoughts uh, where what you think is right, what do you think is wrong about this list? Uh, start with AJ here. Yeah, in terms of, you know, with ladders, it's always tough, you know, just because the season is so long and as the weeks go by, guys are going to slip, guys are going to rise, they're going to fall just based on team performance. Um, it's a little perplexing, though, because I feel like the MVP award, at least r- most recently, has been a little, I feel like, to an extent, a little less focused on team success and more so just concentrated on the player performance. You know, it used to be loosely every year it was the best player on the best team. That was pretty standard as far as, like, records and all those things go. And it's always about the regular season. But in terms of this list right now, um, you know, I, I like it. I think – I don't think I ever really – overreact with the ladders just because guys are like I said guys are bound to slip and fall like the NBA season is so long and I think people forget that and things are really early but in terms of who I'm most impressed with right now I would say probably Tatum just because you know the Celtics I mean for all intents and purposes just lost their head coach the head coach that helped guide them to the finals this easily could have been a year where things were awash and you know they were back to not being mediocre but not playing up to this standard and they have they haven't skipped a beat and I think Tatum has been at the centerpiece of that and I also want to just say you know Tatum is pretty young but he's been he's handled this I think and handled just his entire career so far in an incredibly like mature way I think he's really stepped up as a leader I think he's handled a lot of the criticism that's been you know thrown upon him I think he's handled it really well and him and the rest of this team just seem very, you know, unaffected by, you know, mm-hmm. the storm that's sort of been swirling around Boston. So I'd say I've, I've been most impressed with his performance and the rest of this Boston team. 
I think that's a good point. I think it may not be the oldest team. They're not a, a, a young team by any by any stretch, but they the maturity they've shown um, throughout all this is is definitely newsworthy. Jack, what about you? Yeah, I mean that's a really good point. I I didn't really consider that as far as Tatum's career arc. That's just kind of a cool, um, you know, thing to notice. He has been really mature through all of it, and even struggling through the finals and stuff. You know, yeah. he came back and he's clearly <laughs> playing pretty well right now. So. And he was hurt too, not to cut mm-hmm. you off, but he yeah. was he was hurt like obviously, and he yeah. made no excuses. He didn't whine and complain and say, "Oh, I'm hurt. That's why I'm not playing well." Like, and mm-hmm. people were ripping him apart, mm-hmm. like. The recency bias was real. He was the part, a big part of the reason why they got there, and then he was struggling, and everyone was trying to rip him to shreds. But yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, I I mean, I feel pretty good about Giannis versus the rest of the ladder. A uh, little pun there. Sorry. Um, <laughs> <laughs> terrible. But yeah, I mean, I I love Giannis, man. I think he should get to, um, you know some more looks, considering this team is missing their second best player. <laughs> Don't laugh. Don't laugh now. Now that no one has left. That's all right. Um, but yeah, no, I love Giannis climbing up here. I think he could, you know, have a real conversation if this team stays in, you know, the top three in the conference uh, without their second best player for a lot of the season. I think that should not go unnoticed. But I mean, Luka is just unreal, too. I would love to see him get his first MVP early on here and set him up for a great long career winning those. But yeah, I mean, he's just fun to watch. There's a lot of great guys up here. I, I think Curry will. Uh, sneaking that top five again once he's you know back in the swing of things more consistently. I I'm just trying to figure out how Curry gets on the extra spots despite how bad that team has been, but then Booker gets in over KD, who's been playing better than Booker to this point in the year. I just it's just and it's not and I don't think Booker's been playing poorly, but KD's averaging more points, shooting better from the field, shooting better from the free throw line, has more rebounds, more blocks. Those two are obvious, but he's also almost got him beat in assists and steals. He's basically almost played better in every facet of the game. But Booker's on a better team with better teammates, so Booker gets in on the you know bottom five of this. I disagree with that. I think Booker's having a very nice season. I don't think he should be anywhere near an MVP list because that's a really good team. That's a really good team, and he's not doing – He's 10th in scoring compared to KD being 5th. He's averaging almost 10, or, uh, excuse me, 6 points a game less than Luka and Steph and those guys. The the difference between what Steph is doing and Luka is doing, like Devin Booker's just being a very, very good player on an incredibly good team. That's nothing wrong with that, that he should be an all-star. He should probably fight for, you know, second or third team All-NBA, he should not be in the MVP discussion over somebody like Kevin Durant, in my opinion, just because of that. And, and I do find it weird that Steph gets the nod, even though the Warriors are struggling, but KD doesn't, even though the Nets are struggling, and the Nets have had so much more off the court because, I I don't know, <clears throat> I think that's the thing that stood out to me. As far as the guys that are in the top five, I – the only one that I kind of look at again is like I I would probably put some of the guys like Embiid over Jokic, like Jokic has had good stats, but I think you know what going on about how has it become you know less team focused or more team focused as AJ was saying like if if Jokic is that high like the Nuggets haven't been doing that well, but I mean he's won he's won two already. So, you know, we know he's that type of player. I'm not surprised to see him there. That, the biggest surprise for me was Booker. I, but as of that five, I think Giannis would probably be my favorite just because of – I think that 
not that Tatum's going to slow down, but like Giannis has so many more games where he just pops. Like like Tatum, even like Tatum could have forty, and I wouldn't even notice just because Tatum's so smooth. And that's not like an insult to Tatum. It's just like that's just how he is. Mm-hmm. Like he could have a fifty point game, and I might miss it be- just because like he's he's just. He'll just kill you in so many different ways. Like you, he'll have thirty-five before you even notice. But like you, you notice when Giannis is killing you. Like, like just ask Nurkic from last night. Like you, you, you notice. You notice when Giannis is going off. Like he and I would, I would probably give it to Giannis. I, I will also say though, I would give an outside shot. I think he's gonna pop, pop into that bottom. You know, that next five list, so to speak. Uh, as soon as he starts shooting a little better, I would, I would. Keep an eye on Trey Young because he's playing really, really well in terms of everything but shooting right now. He's still shooting under 40% on the year. His three-point shooting's back up. His free throw shooting's been good, but he's still struggling from the field. If he can get that to like 43 44% even, he's going to be averaging so many points a game on top of everything he's doing with the assist that he's going to have to be in the conversation. And, and the Hawks are playing pretty well. So I would keep an eye on Trey Young. I think Trey Young is if KD doesn't take Booker's spot there, Trey Young probably will be coming for that spot. But I like the rest of the list, and Giannis would probably be my favorite. That's fair. I don't have much to add other than I do agree that I think Embiid should have cracked the top five. Um, I don't know over Ja or Jokic. Um, Jokic is, I mean, those are unbelievable numbers. Obviously, I think the reason he's number four is because the Nuggets are just so much worse when he's off the court. That's um, fair. And he's by himself um, makes that team. Um, you can the eye test and the numbers. His on-off numbers are always some of the best in the league and historically good. So I think that's kind of why he got the nod at four. But Embiid has um, been unstoppable. Basically, he's averaging over over thirty-two points, um, a double-double, ten rebounds, and he's also basically at two blocks a game. So he's been a force too. But the Sixers are eight and eight. Um, Harden's missed some games. Maxie's now out. Uh, we didn't talk about that, but Maxie's also out. So they are banged up, um, and Embiid's kind of just been now at this point carrying them. So I, I think that he deserves um, to be there in the top five. But other than that, you guys all made some great points, um, and I agree, I agree with pretty much everything you guys were saying. Um, yeah, that's about all we had today. We just wanted to catch up with some storylines before Thanksgiving. I hope everyone listening um, has a great Thanksgiving. and. Um, enjoys time with family and friends, a break from work and school. Um, you've been listening to the Courtside Convo on Impact 89 FM. Go out and be nice to everybody. Enjoy some basketball, and thanks again.